All right, would you please open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 1. It's probably going to be the most interesting reading we'll, we'll ever have. A reading of names of people that have long been dead, to whom we don't, we don't feel any connection. Uh, I, well, not any emotional connection, I would imagine. But we're going to read it in its entirety anyway. So, if you get tongue-tied and you can't pronounce the names, don't worry, don't, you don't have to say it. I'll say it myself and see how well I do. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The pedigree of honey does not concern the bee. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Abinadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salatiel, Salatiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the, the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. There's about close to 2 or 3 billion records now. I, I, somebody told me, or somebody I read somewhere recently, on Ancestry.com. And there's a big, you know, uh, interest right now in genealogies and, and lineages and, and things of that sort. We seem to be fascinated with it. And in our search for meaning and in our search, endless search for identity, we're always looking for ways to, con to reconnect or to connect with, the, uh, with, our, with our ancestors and their history, and so on. 
It's an obsession. And why is it an obsession? Well, I read an article recently that says that it's not so much about genetics, even if um, many people do a genealogy study for genetics purposes, you know, to see uh, what uh, bad genes there might be in the family. It is more than just genetics, we, we, I find out. It is actually, we're actually drawn to our ancestry, not primarily because we want to see what gene pool we, believe, we belong to, but because we're drawn to their story. And this is really the power, part of the power, the allure, the big allure of genealogy as, as we read through uh, a bunch of dead people's names. There's a story in all of these in, uh, represented in each of these names. An individual story as well as a, a societal story, a national story, if you please. Two years ago, my, my, uh, my wife and I helped our, our son Micah put together his family tree going down, how many generations would that be? Four or five generations. Here it is. I want to show you. Let me see. That's what we came up with. And there's a lot of estimating in terms of the dates of born, you know, and when, uh, you know, my family, my ancestors were born. I don't have any records of it. As a matter of fact, I only have one picture of, of my childhood left from all of those movings. And, and I brought home from when, when I went back to the Philippines a few years ago, I brought home one picture of my grandmother and my, gran my grandfather. And that was it. That's all the picture that I have. So a lot of estimating from my side of the family, but it's very precise on Julie's side of the family. And, and there they are. And I, you know, when you start to do something like this, you start to discover things. And one of the things that I discovered is that uh, on both the maternal and the paternal side of the family, that both gra great-grandfathers... Um, served in the war, that is in World War II. Um, this would be Grandpa, great-grandpa Carl Boyer Ermschars, junior, or a senior, uh, um, who was born in 1914 and died in 1984, was a United States Army uh, MD, that's a medical doctor, in the Pacific Theater. And over here on the, my side of the family, I found out as well, well, I knew this already before I even did this uh, family tree, that my great-grandfather, Simeon Bandolin, also served in that war, also served in the Pacific Theater as a private, and he actually died in a, a prisoner of war, dying of dysentery after the, uh, after the Bataan Death March. Little things like that, the stories that we find, fascinate us. It helps connect us, not so much to the genetic pool, to our genetic pool, but to their story. And we want to belong to a larger story such as the story that I describe. These days, my wife is, is doing a sort of like a family ge a genealogy album of sorts, and here's what she's been able to produce so far. I want to call her up here just to, to, help, to, to help us you know, get a sense of why she's doing this and what discoveries, what highlights has she, has she, has she, does she have for us today. This was a project that in this album was from Laura Lee, but it was a project my dad and I had started when they first moved here. And every Sunday he'd come over and we would sort pictures together. 
he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's and was struggling to organize his thoughts. So it was something we were doing every Sunday. Um, and it has made an opportunity for us to actually go back two more generations. If you look at the great-grandma Norma Jean holiday, we can now go back two more generations beyond that. And that's what these three albums represent. Um, funny things we find, like letters of why somebody believed another person died of a broken heart. Um, like, literally, pages. I have pictures in here, adorable pictures, but we can pass all those. Something of a historical artifact, I have death certificates that date early 1900s, birth certificates that date beyond that. I have a social security card back when they were actually hard and hard metal. And this person was born in 1889. And I also have pictures from individuals here that were born in 1886. And these pictures are 1889 and mm, I think 1891. But it's just been quite interesting to keep going back further and further and further. And it's also a time in which I can remember and honor my dad's memory too. We had started this together and it has been an opportunity for me to go back now seven generations. Um, I don't quite get to the 16 in the book of Matthew, <laughs> but it has definitely been um, eye-opening to see where I have come from and in our own children where we are headed. You know, Jesus' genealogy is very, a very interesting one, of course. It's, um, it's fascinating. Uh, it's, very, it's a very colorful um, pedigree. It's a very colorful uh, uh, lineage. Um, quite a motley crew of individuals. But what's fascinating about... The, this lineage of Jesus Christ is not so much how colorful the individuals were and how diverse they were in their own ways, but, how fast, but it is fascinating because of, what, of, of the story that we find in it, not just, not just the story of these individuals, and it's not even just the story of, of, of a nation. God birthed through Abraham and coalesced through David, and through the deportation all the way down to Jesus Christ. It is fascinating because of what God is able to do weaving in and out, interweaving with the life of his people. And how he weaves in and out and, and how he brings redemption and how he brings good news in the life of every individual, in the life of groups of individuals within his larger scope of, and purposes. So we see how God interweaves, first of all, through the national life of Israel, through the ebb and flow of their life as a people, and how God was able to confidently to work through all the weaknesses and all the foibles and all the, all the things that he had to deal with, all the sins and all the intrigues and all the highs and all the lows of the life of his people 
and how he's, he's able to bring about his promise to Abraham that he will someday bless the world through his offspring, who the Apostle Paul says is Jesus Christ. As we look at this fascinating study of the lineage of Jesus Christ, we find, first of all, we find that Matthew, working, of course, before the advent of, uh, you know, of, of books and, and what have you, where uh, people did not have the luxury of being able to own uh, the entire scripture, he had to use mnemonic uh, device. And what he did to do that, um, to help people remember the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the lineage of Jesus Christ, because it was important to them in those days, especially to Jews, for other reasons that were less than perfect in the eyes of God. But nonetheless, they were important to them. He used a mnemonic device, and here's what he did. So there's the, 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 the name of David in the, in the Hebrew. You don't, need the, uh, you don't need vowels to be able to pronounce the name. Uh, uh, reading it from right going left, the first letter is the letter D. That's the, word, uh, the, the letter Dalet. And, and the second letter is the letter Vav, uh, which is, I think, let's see, the sixth letter. So remember the... the um, what number they, you know, the number in, in, in terms of the alphabets, um, uh, the sequence of, of, of uh, letters. This is letter number four, which is the letter D, letter number six, which is the letter uh, V, uh, and this is the letter D again, uh, which is, of course, four. If you add up the letter, I mean, the number equivalent of all those, of all those three letters, it comes up to 14. And you look at the three letters, the three consonant letters, and you have the number three. And so you see that Matthew, as you look at, at, you know, at this reading, you see that he's grouped the, um, the lineage of Jesus Christ in three groups of 14 to help people understand or help them memorize the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you look at, Luke, uh, at Luke's genealogy of Jesus Christ, it's far different from from Matthew, which leads you to believe that there were not really 14, literally 14 generations from, you know, uh, uh, Abraham to David, uh, but Matthew saw fit in, in order for, to help people memorize the, um, the lineage of Jesus Christ all the way down from Abraham to David, from David all the way down to Jesus Christ, to establish that link, that link that was never broken, as if to say that um, Matthew... Or the Holy Spirit, as he caused Matthew to write down these names, is telling us that God was able to, despite all the, despite all the difficulties, he was able to keep his promise that there will not be a broken line between Abraham and, the, and his seed, Jesus Christ. That however difficult it is for God to keep his sovereignty, and he is a sovereign God, without having to predestine every single thing that happens in the life of everyone, he's able to utilize, you know, all of these, all of these things that happen in our life and, and the fact that he's given us the freedom to, to, to will and to do in accordance to his will or against his will. That he's able to, and despite all of that, he's able to navigate through these difficult waters of the life, the convoluted life of his people, to bring about the promise that he said that he would keep. And that is the promise that someday his people 
will see their own Redeemer. And that Redeemer came in Jesus Christ. You will notice, of course, you will notice in these three groupings, now, the general groupings really represent the three phases of the life of God's people. And, in, and even in a larger sense, the three phases of the life of the entire world. The first, the first 14 uh, of this genealogy talks about the, the times of plenty, times of glory or glorious times in the, in the life of God's people. And how God was with them when things were going well. When David was able to rally all those tribes together into forming a, a single nation. And when they were riding on top of the world, politically, nationally, and even in many ways, spiritually. Of course, it's easier for us to see how God could navigate through that when the times are good. But the second set of 14 takes us to the depth of the life of God's people when because of their own sins, they descended from the heights of David's throne down to the gutters in the, in the streets, in the, in, the, um, in the ghettos of Babylon through the deportation. And what happens is that even through that, we find that God continues that lineage. He doesn't leave his people alone. He keeps that lineage going somehow against all odds. And from the deportation, the next set of 14, the third set of 14, he goes from that. Somehow he was able to keep once again that lineage going, keeping his promise to Abraham and to you and me that through his promise to one man, he is going to bless the entire earth in Jesus Christ. This is a fascinating thing indeed because it, once again it, 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 it shows us how confident, how quietly confident God is in his divine sovereignty to be able to bring about and to be able to work with you and me even perhaps beyond our own uh, knowledge of, of how he's working in our lives. But what is even more interesting uh, with this um, genealogy is that he doesn't just weave his life or interweave his life in the national life of his, of his people, but he does it also personally with every single person that we find in this lineage. It's too long. There are too many names. And each name has its own story. We don't have a whole lot of time to describe the story of each one. But I do want to focus on the story, or at least what we could, what we could, what we could root out from the story of those women that we find in this genealogy. We find five women, four of them, two of them were very good women by all indications, and three, a little bit questionable. And we find that through their story, we find that God weaves through their story to try to bring about the collapse of certain things, the destruction of certain barriers, 
in order to bring about what he truly wants to accomplish, and that is, to, and that is the redemption of everyone that is willing to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, God seems to be saying that, you know, I had, to, I had to include this person's name. I had to include that person's name to tell you that even before Jesus Christ came here on earth to give us the, his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the gospel of Jesus Christ was already present in and through the life of every single one represented in this, in this lineage. And most especially in the, in, in the, represented in the lives of those five women that were included in his lineage. First of all, it, it, it is not a common thing. It might be common to us now to find women in, 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 a, in a Jewish lineage. That was not done in those days. Why? Because women did not have equal status as men. As a matter of fact, they were considered, they were considered as properties of their dads and of their husbands. And that if you find all of these stipulations, um, if you go back to the five, first five books of Moses, you find all of these stipulations, uh, you know, limiting, limiting men's authority over, uh, over uh, uh, female, over, over women. That is the context. We have to, you know, we have to see the context that God was trying to already, as far back, as far back as uh, the Pentateuch, as the time of Moses, he was already trying to break down that barrier that needed to be broken down if we're going to have the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to everyone. Barriers have to come down. And these, the presence of these women, these five women in Jesus Christ's genealogy is a fascinating, is a fascinating commentary on the love and the grace of God in telling us that certain barriers must come down if the gospel of Jesus Christ is to, be re- is, is, to be, is to be taken to everyone to the exclusion of no one. This hierarchical, hierarchical structure of things must go. And what are these barriers? What are these barriers that God destroyed or tore down, as we see in this lineage of Jesus Christ. First of all, there is the barrier, the genetic barrier. While the Jews were, you know, listing, uh, recording the, uh, you know, the, their lineage very methodically, generation after generation, we find some of that also happening in, 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 in the times of, uh, of Ezra, if you remember, certain families who did not have an unbroken line from Aaron down to their day, they could not establish a direct lineage by blood, could not be. They were excluded from the, um, from the, from the priesthood when they came back from, from, uh, from Babylon. Genetic barrier... Or, the, you know, one's genetics does, means nothing to God. Praise the Lord. And when I look at all of you here, all of us here, and, I, and I'm very thankful that we, we are so diverse here and that we are truly living the principle of, you know, of, of, of the gospel. That when God says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him, that word whoever covers everyone to the exclusion of no one. That there is no genetic, there is no gene pool that's closer to the heart of God as opposed to other gene pools. That if we go far back enough, we actually belong to a single gene pool. And we know that to be our, you know, belonging to the gene pool of Adam and Eve. So genetic barrier needed to be torn down. And how does, how does God show that in this genealogy? Well, first of all, he shows it in the fact that you have two women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ included there who, was, who are not in the, who are not blood relatives, who, who are not direct descendants of Abraham by blood. So what you see here is this is not a this is not this is not a pedigree of blood. This is not a national pedigree. This is not a pedig- pedigree based on blood, like two dogs. We used to have we used to have a Bichon Frise. It was given to us years ago. And in my neighborhood, we had my Bichon Frise and we had an English bulldog. And they would play. And that English bulldog did not stand a chance because my, our, 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 our Frise would run circles around the, that poor English bulldog and could not keep up. But when our Bichon came to us, she was given to us because the family that owned her could no longer keep her. And she came with all the papers. I mean, uh, she, she, was, she was purebred, and she was beautiful, and we loved her until the day she died. That is not what this is, only the human equivalent. Because to God, all these artificial genetic barriers, ethnic barriers, racial barriers, all of these, they don't count. There's only one thing that counts, and that is, faith in Jesus Christ. And the second barrier that we find here, well, first of all, there's, yeah, Rahab. Who's the other one? Ruth. Oh, I got to show you something about Ruth because um, we, we love Ruth. What's not to like about Ruth? The great-grandmother of David, King David. But you see, she was a Moabite. And the Moabites weren't very friendly to the Israelites when they were, you know, coming into the land of promise. And because of that, you know, we find this text in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. And yet, as early as, you know, those days in the life of Israel. It seems that God did not keep his, word, his own word and that his intention was never truly, his intention was never truly to leave one ethnicity or one group of individuals away from the life of his people. And what we find in this story of of Ruth is that this person who is not even a Jew but was a Moabite 
who is forbidden by law to come to church with the rest of us or the rest of Israel has an, an honored status in the lineage, the genealogy of our Lord. Fascinating indeed. The second barrier that, that God tore down with this genealogy is the, is the barrier of gender, as you can imagine, as I just mentioned a while ago. To mention perhaps one um, woman in this great genealogy of the Messiah could probably be forgiven, but to mention five is way over the top. You remember the words of Paul in, in Galatians when he says, In Christ there is no Jew or Gentile. In Christ there is no slave or free. In Christ there is no male or female. We're all equal in the eyes of God, equally loved. Equally loved. And your distance to the heart of God is not determined by your gender. Your distance from the heart of God is determined by your own heart. Not the color of your skin. Not your gender. And we have two, two other women, you know, that demonstrates that to us. Tamar, you, you remember the story of Tamar? We remember the story of Tamar. Yeah, she was frustrated with her, you know, with her father-in-law who would not, who promised, you know, through a leveret marriage, promised his boy son when his older son had died and did not give her an heir. And then when he forgot his promise conveniently because, you know, she's getting old and she's probably, he's probably, probably thinking, oh man, I, I made the wrong promise here. I, I don't want to keep my promise. And she took matters into her, her own hand and seduced her own father-in-law. You remember that story? It's not a very pretty story, which is what we find in every family, every family uh, uh, genealogy. You will find those unhealthy stories. I have some of my own, and Julie alluded to one in her own lineage. Everybody has some bad stories in their family. And what about Bathsheba? She's not even, you know, the thing about Bathsheba here, friends, is that he, she's not even mentioned. Her husband, her first husband was mentioned. Uriah was mentioned. As if to say that Uriah gets to have special mention in the Lord's genealogy. And because his genealogy is not by blood, we may say that Uriah is part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A Hittite who pledged his allegiance not only to David, but to David's God, and ended up being stabbed in the back, murdered by the one to whom he pledged 
his allegiance. He gets this special mention in Bathsheba. By implication, even if she is not outrightly mentioned, her name is not mentioned there. So you have the genetic barrier torn down. You have that gender barrier torn down in order to prepare for the, for, the, for the gospel that goes out to everyone to the exclusion of no one. And then the last one that needs to go, God says, as he, once again, as, you know, as, as we go up and down this list, is that saint and sinner barrier. Every single one of these individuals here They have their stories, and a lot of their stories were not pretty ones. This sinner or saint and sinner barrier must go. I mean, how many kings do we have to, um, you know, to mention here, to unearth the things that they did in their own day? We will not have enough time even to just mention a couple and to explain their own stories. David, we know what he did. And through all of this, God is showing you and me that he can accomplish and he does accomplish his eternal purposes despite of all our our weaknesses and our sins in our less than perfect lives. This pedigree is not a pedigree. It's, it's, not a, um, it's not a blood pedigree. It's not a national pedigree. It's not even a nobility pedigree. Everyone that we find here are common individuals. They are sinful individuals. They are less than perfect individuals. Several of them really, really bad people in their day. No, this is not a pedigree of blood or nobility. But this is a pedigree of love. It is a pedigree of God's love for you and me. And it mirrors your pedigree. It mirrors your own genealogy. Because if the genealogy of Jesus Christ looks like this, you can be assured that he does not look for a better genealogy from you. And your lineage is just as fine to him as anyone else's. Because at the end of the day, his purpose is not to show that he picked just the right individuals, those, you know, those individuals that are cream of the crop, and so on. No, that's not the purpose of this genealogy. The purpose of this genealogy is to tell you how God brings, how, how God brings honey out of everyone's life in order to bring about his eternal purposes of redeeming your life and redeeming the life of this world and restoring it to where it needs to be. And you know what? He didn't choose the, you know, uh, the, the exotic flowers, taking nectars out of it and as the bee He didn't choose the most beautiful, you know, he chose, as this poem goes, which I used to, for the title of our sermon today, I actually got the title from a poem 
And some of you might know where it's from, who it's from. It's from a poem written by Emily Dickinson. Here's what it says. The pedigree of honey does not concern the bee. A clover, which you find anywhere in the world, the most common, perhaps, of all flowers, anytime, to him, is aristocracy. That is to say that you are aristocracy to him not because of what you've done, but because he knows that whoever he picks, and he picks you, he can, he can, you know, he can take those, that nectar out of your life and turn it into honey, and you will be beautiful because God is beautiful, and you will be lovely because lo- God is lovely. If God can bring the gospel to come about in the life of Jesus Christ through that checkered, through that motley crew of a genealogy, of a lineage, he can do the same thing with you because his purpose is to always have every, to take every opportunity he can take through your own life and the life of your family to bring good news to you. And bringing the good news to you, his hope is that you would pick, you choose that good news and choose God who has already chosen you in Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you so much for loving us and for showing that wonderfully in the life of your son and showing showing it to us through the genealogy of your son. Help us to love you better, O God. We know that you love us so much. Help us to love you better each day and to let people know as well that they are loved equally by God, whoever they are, wherever they're from. In Jesus' name, amen.